Let's just go ahead and pray tonight. We'll, uh, we'll begin. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for uh, bringing each and every one of us here tonight to study your word, Lord, and, and look into the Old Testament and the book of Esther, Father, to not only see the narrative, but Lord, to see your attributes shine through these so we can learn from these and we can apply these to our lives, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit uh, will illuminate this text for us. And we also lift up uh, Vicki, who is uh, just has recovered from, is recovering from surgery. Vicki Stratton, Lord, that her, her progression will go well, um, as well as Joan, that uh, everything that, uh, every step that she takes will be uh, much better as she heals, uh, Lord. And we pray for um, Rick, um, Steve's brother, Lord. Um, sounds like a complicated issue, Father, but not too complicated for you, Lord. We know that you can uh, miraculously do things and work through the doctors. Uh, and we pray that um, not only for his physical well-being, but for his spiritual and mental well-being, Father. It's a very difficult time to go through when, when there's a pot potential cancer involved and, and a, a recurring problem, Lord. We pray that you will uh, be all over him in, uh, in this situation, Lord. Again, we thank you for everyone here tonight, and we pray that as we dig into your word, Lord, that we will uh, learn some things, learn about you, and learn how to apply those things. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, um, just a bit of good news in case, uh, in case you weren't here Sunday or didn't find out. Uh, the, uh, we had a vote on the new property and uh, moving forward in that, and the vote was a overwhelming yes. I believe it was a 97% uh, vote of yes, which is far more than I had. You, know, you never know what it's going to be, but that's, a, that's an overwhelming yes. And so very exciting to see that. Um, so just a, just a little quick housekeeping there. So, um, well, as we begin tonight, I always like to give a title if I can. And I don't want to try to manufacture something, but, but if you're taking notes tonight, um, we're going to be in Esther chapter 4. And uh, the, the title tonight, if you, if you want to take notes, is Faith in the God Who Provides and Protects. Faith in the God who provides and protects. But what I'd like to do is first kind of just really a quick recap of chapter 3. I'm just going to hit a few things, a few of the high points, so we get an understanding and we're all on the same page as to what occurred in chapter 3. If you'd like to turn to chapter 3, I'm just going to pull a few verses out. And if you look at chapter 2, very interesting. It says, all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. Haman's the bad guy here. Uh, for the king had so commanded concerning. And if you look at that, if you continue on, that verse says, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. So he was not wanting to do that. He was, uh, he was refusing to do that. Uh, some some scholars say that it was because of a long lineage, a, a lifelong battle that goes way hundreds of years back. Some people say that it was just something that he didn't choose to do. Some people think that because uh, he was a Jew, that he was, he, like some other Jews, he was one of the only Jews that was in the king's court. He just wanted to make an example. So there's many fields of thought on that. But regardless, the main point is that he did not bow down to Haman, which caused a major upheaval. If you continue on, and we can go a little forward in this chapter, and uh, let's see here. Let's pick it up in, in five and verse 5. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. 
he was enraged. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman, which were the Jews, Haman sought to destroy all of the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of the king Ahasuerus. So this was a massive thing. And if you look down at verse 9, this is, this is Haman coming to the king. And it says, if it pleased the king, this is just kind of how tilted this was and, and how he seemed to have got this pushed through so easily. It said, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. This is the Jews. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business. So it's sort of a bribe here. Also, it was maybe a way of offsetting because the king's thinking, you take out all of these taxpayers, what's going to happen? So this here, so, so Haman was saying 10,000 talents. And I, I tried to look this up to see about how much that would be in modern day times. And it, it was anywhere from 60 million to 100 billion. So I, I could, but let's just say it was a, a ton, it was like 60,000 years of work or something. It was an ma- enormous amount. Even at the very least in this, some, down here in the notes of my Bible, it says a talent was about 75 pounds or 34 kilograms of silver. I think I did the math just with my little calculator here on my phone. Let me see if I can find and, and that was And that was $220 million. And so somewhere, it was a, a very large amount of money. And so it could have been that he was trying to offset the, the, the cost of what the taxes would, that would be lost by basically genocide of all these taxpayers and Jews. Um, so just a really sticky situation, ugly situation, uh, however it went through. And it was decreed, and then you go down to verse 12, the king's scribe were summoned, and they sent out the edicts. And if you look at the end of chapter 3, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree. This is verse 14 of chapter 3. As a decree in every providence by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. So here's where we begin tonight. It begins a story where there's just a massive upheaval, and, and the, the, the Jews and the people of all the different regions of the empire were were in chaos, basically. And in fact, the word that was used is thrown into confusion. So here, this brings us basically to chapter four tonight. So let's go ahead and begin in chapter four. And what I want to do is also is just talk about, um, yes, well, before I do that, I, I like to do an overview sometimes. And the overview is, is the, the 30,000 foot flyover view. And so tonight we're going to look at several things. And there's two major points in tonight's, uh, uh, you know, like takeaways or what, what, what the word is saying or things that really seem to stand out when it comes to what we can apply. And the two things are, well, if you look back at the title, Faith in the God Who Provides and Protects, uh, the two major things are uh, Mordecai and his unshakable faith. That's one of the major themes of this, of this chapter tonight. The secondly... Uh, the second major theme is Esther's trust in a protecting God. And that's where, hence, we get the protecting and providing. Um, so Mordecai's unshakable faith in a providing God 
and Esther's trust in a protecting God. Um, and then there's also something that I found in there in this passage that as I, I looked at it and I began to read through it, it really made me ponder. And so there's a couple of main themes in this chapter, I believe. And then there's something that was just an interesting takeaway that's not really the central theme, but it was something that I, I really stuck out, uh, st stood out to me. So let's go ahead and begin in chapter 4. And when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Let's just kind of pause right there because this is going to come up several times in the text. Fasting, but the sackcloth and ashes was very interesting, and I, and I, I kind, of, kind of dug into that a little bit to try to gain an understanding. And it's, and it's, and it's throughout the Bible in many different locations. It even says when David had, had, had come out of a, a very dark place, he, he said, I, I can remove the sackcloth now. And basically, the sackcloth was, was almost like the modern-day version of a burlap bag. Very rough, not, not pleasant to wear, um, a little bulky, a little cumbersome, itchy. And then the ashes were just poured and covered over the, a person's body and then even over their heads. And it was a very symbolic thing. It, was, it, it showed what was on the inside. It showed it on the outside. So it was something that really was so that people could see. It wasn't a pharisaical thing where, oh, look at me. It was really more that so, it was something that occurred when there was sorrow or grief or there was repentance for something or mourning for something. And so I really kind of, was, as I was looking at that, and I was, I was reading and understanding, trying to gain an understanding, there's another portion of Scripture, I believe, uh, uh, in, uh, in Nineveh with Jonah and the whale. The people of Nineveh, there's a reference to it there where people are to put on sackcloth and ashes and to mourn. And uh, in Daniel, and there's one that I actually found uh, that was interesting. I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. But in Daniel um, chapter 9, just keeping in mind, this isn't necessarily the, the, the driven points of, of this particular passage, but it's something I was just thinking about. But let me read what Daniel was saying. In, in Daniel 9, it says, chapter, verse 3, it says, When I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord God, my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now, that's not necessarily what was the occurrence of why, that, uh, why Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes. I'll, we'll get to that in a second. But it really made me ponder and wonder and think about how we... Uh, because th there was in, in certain situations, it was it's a people are repentant and they do it in this this really extraordinary way that the Jews did back in the, in these times, and it just struck me because I think sometimes and and I, I maybe I'm speaking for myself, but as we go through our lives and we're in our Christian walk and we do things that we happen to sin or we happen to do things that are not pleasing to the Lord, like how do we how do you repent? How do you ask for forgiveness? Because it says in 1 John 1, 9 that we're to confess our sins, and He's faithful and just to forgive us. But what does that mean? 
And I've always heard some, 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 one of the preachers I love, he talks about as we confess our sins, that we really need to confess them in a way that God sees them. Not like, you know, Lord, uh, forgive me, I, I just completely cut that person off on purpose and I, I just, you know, sorry, you know, or I've, I've, I, you know, I told a little white lie, Lord, and I just, does, does, do you confess your sins like the Lord sees your sins? And that's just something that I really thought about because of the, just the interesting and exaggerated nature in which the Jews would, would repent or would mourn. And I thought, do it's kind of this parallel as I was thinking about this. And maybe it's just me going on a little tangent, but sometimes I think deeply about these things. And I think, wow, we need to make sure that when we do confess our sins, which we're called to do as believers, because we know we're going to sin, that we really confess well and confess properly. We don't have to put on sackcloth and ashes and mourn in the middle of the city, but we really do need to see our sins as God sees them. And I just thought that was just an interesting sidebar a note that, that that kind of spurred on as I was doing the study. So I just think that was interesting. But as we look at this, it doesn't read this way as far as uh, what Mordecai, the reason Mordecai was so uh, torn. But I, oh, let me read again. When Mordecai learned all that had been done. So he's basically, Mordecai is learning the, the, the edicts that have gone out to exterminate his people in the region. Now, I think... And I, and I have a few scholars back me up on this when I did some study into it. It's really that Mordecai had a guilt for what he did. He basically started the whole process. Now, he was in line with what God's plan was, but still he was responsible. He's the one that didn't bow. He's the one that created a ruckus in the king's court. And so when this news came and there was disbelief and confusion, immediately Mordecai was wailing and weeping because he felt it, it, he brought the whole thing on. So that kind of broadens the picture a little bit in the understanding of he wasn't just doing, you know, all the Jews in the region were wailing and weeping because they were going to be killed, and they even gave a timeline for it. But Mordecai, the onus was on him. He, 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 he had the pressure. And so that kind of broadens the picture and gives you a better understanding of why he was really, really grieving on that. So with that in mind, let's continue uh, in verse 2, he went up to the entrance of the king's gate. Now, notice it doesn't say the king's gate. Now, the king's gate is where is basically a large area before you get into the palace where business was done. And for some reason, as a Jew, Mordecai was allowed to be in there. And so he had some sort of higher standing. I don't know, if, I don't know how he got into it, but he, maybe he knew someone, and I, I, don't, I didn't see it in the text yet. But, but he knew someone, and so he was a part of being in there, being in the know, so to speak. But with the sackcloth and ashes, he was not allowed. That's why it says he went to the entrance of the gate. For no one was allowed, we'll continue, uh, to enter the king's gate in sackcloth. There we are. Verse 3, and in every providence, or every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, many of them laying in sackcloth and ashes. So you get the picture. Uh, he, he's, he's, he goes to the middle of the city and, and is wailing. He goes to as close as he can get to his normal post, and, but all across the region because of this edict the, that the Jews were going to be exterminated, there's all kinds of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, so to speak. Um, so Let's continue on in verse 4. Now, let me just say, as we kind of get through this, there's quite a bit of narrative here. 
and I'll go through the narrative, which is simply the story. It's kind of fun. It's like, the, here's the next story, week to week. Um, but as we get to, towards the end is where really things pick up, and some of the stronger points of the text are there. Because sometimes things are just narrative, but then there's some things that are very strong and powerful. And so that's kind of where we're going to kind of just keep plodding through here. So verse 4, when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. Obviously, they told her what? That Mordecai, her uncle or our cousin, was, was in absolute distress. So the interesting thing about here, though, as well, she was deeply distressed because at the time she didn't know what was going on. She had no idea the decree was out. She hadn't, we'll get to it a little later, she hadn't seen the king in 30 days. And she's kind of sheltered up in her little chambers, basically, or wherever it is. So at this point, she does not know what's going on. She doesn't know that the, that the edict has been sent out to kill the Jews. And, and as you see through this whole thing, I, it caught me as I was looking at this this afternoon, is that there's this funny back and forth thing between, no one's talking to anyone directly. Mordecai's not talking to Esther, and directly, it's, she's going through this eunuch, back and forth, and back and forth, through the entire chapter. They don't even, I don't even think they even make contact at all. So it's this back and forth messaging system is how, they, how they're finding out. So the queen was deeply distressed, she didn't know. Uh, she sent garments, because he was in the sackcloth and ash, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, uh, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. He wanted to remain in mourning, right? So verse 5, Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. Again, she had no idea. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in the front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him. So here you have Mordecai, uh, again, outside of the king's gate, explaining to the eunuch, giving the message to relay back to Esther what's going on. So uh, we'll, let's continue on. Uh, verse 7, And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. 10,000 talents. Remember, this is in the millions possibly billions of dollars. So verse 8, Mordecai also came, also gave him a copy. So somehow, this, this is another indicator here that Mordecai had some sort of a high regard or a high position as a Jew in the king's court. And he had access to the actual document. So that's just an, another indicator that he was a little far up there. So he actually gave a copy to send back to Esther uh, verse 8, Mordecai gave the copy of the written decree issued to Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command to her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of the people. So, verse 9, And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Again, you've got this kind of this back and forth dialogue going. And it's just sort of a narrative that's happening, but I just want to continue on here. It might, be, it might even be an early night tonight, I don't know. <laughs> kind of ripping through this small chapter. Um, and Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Right. So now, Mordecai's there, here's Esther speaking to Hathak, and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes into the, goes into the king inside the inner court without being called, 
there is but one law to be put to death, except to one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king in these 30 days. So basically, she's saying to Mordecai, you're asking me to do something. It's punishable on death to go just walk into the king's court. You can't do that. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't even know that he would even give me the golden scepter, which is like the free pass, because he hasn't even called on me in 30 days. Has he, does he even remember me? You know, he, maybe we're on the we're on the outs or something, and so what what Mordecai is asking her to do, she's saying, I, I mean, you know the rules, and this is something I should really do, and it sort of sets the stage for the for these last few verses that are really really where the meat is, where it's really important. But as for me, let's go back to up to the end of verse eleven there. But as for me. I have not been called to come into the king in these 30 days. Verse 12, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. In other words, they relayed back. They went outside and talked to him again. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape more than any of all the other Jews. Let's just kind of pause right there. What's he saying there? Yeah, you're you're a goner. I mean, you, you, just because you're a queen, they're gonna find out you're a goner. What what do you have to lose? Basically, is what he's trying to say. You know, you're gonna be found out as well. Um, so, this, and then here's where it gets really interesting. Verse fourteen. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews. From another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Let's just kind of let's kind of park right there for a little bit. Notice what that says. This is the first major point here of this small passage. Right at the end here, as we're getting close to the end of this passage, uh, relief and deliverance will rise from another place. What is what is Mordecai saying there? I mean, it's a rhetorical question, but what he's saying is. I trust that God's hand will move forward and will save his people, whether you're a part of this or not. He had enough trust and faith in God that whether she acted or didn't act, he was confident, confident that God's plan would move forward and, move forward and he would save his people. So when I, th when I see these things, now we study a passage of Scripture it's one little chapter in a narrative that's part of the Old Testament thousands of years ago, and there's so much richness and strong takeaway from looking at people of, people of God that were strong, so strong in their faith to say, all the Jews are getting ready to be exterminated in this entire region. But, it, but, but he's saying, if you, if, you don't, if you choose not to do this, I know that my God will still find a way. Some will still rise up. Now, is that because of maybe uh, things that he knew about what God said earlier in, in, back in, you know, in, in the previous scriptures? Was it because he had just an extraordinarily strong faith? So some of these questions that I have um, that, that are naturally that are brought up when I, when I read something like this is, do we have that kind of faith? Do I have that kind of faith? 
as we move forward in our lives with, with certain things and, and we've got people with medical issues and we've got people that are in financial straits and you, you can't see the, what's the end in sight and, or, or things that occur within, within a, a family or, or situations that go awry, uh, you know, or even, even, our, or even our church, you know, the ch potential church site we're looking at. Do we have enough faith if something comes up and there's some struggles or something happens, how, how will that throw us? Do we have enough strength and, and, and trust in the Lord that we can know in our minds that he will sustain us, that he will have a plan? If this doesn't work out, it's okay. We know the Lord has a plan. And so for things like this, little passages like this demonstrate the faith that it takes to move forward in our lives because even when things are just really hazy or blurry or dark even, we need to make sure we understand that our, it says in, in Hebrews to keep, to keep our gaze fixed on who? On Christ, exactly. And so we need if, if all the things that are going to be occurring around us. So, so he, it's interesting he says here, um, and then another thing too, another thing that I, that I wrote down here is that does your faith grow over time? And I think the reason I wrote that is because sometimes you can have people that just naturally have a super strong faith. And a faith is something that's given to us, but it's something that we also can exercise, right? And so I think, though, that every time something comes up where we're not sure what's going to happen, and, but we say, Lord, we're going to put our faith. In fact, Pastor Greg preached on that a few weeks back. You know, we don't know where the money's going to come from. We know we need a new roof, but we're going to pray, and we know the Lord has worked in the past. And so each time something like that occurs, and every time that we put our faith in God, and, he, and something actually miraculously works out, or it changes, the, something actually changes, and we didn't see that coming, and we're like, well, that's actually better than what I was thinking. Or even this trial I'm going through, wow, did that bring some growth and development in me? But each time something like that occurs, it's a stacked experience, and it helps grow our faith over time. So that's why I kind of thought, why does our, does our faith develop over time? Or do we simply continue to cower? And it's something that we really need to think about. I need to think about personally because something comes up, and I'm like, my first thought is just to scramble, you know, to throw on my sackcloth and ashes and weep in a corner. But oftentimes we really need to think back to, to the times that he was faithful. Count his mercies and blessings, right? So... As we look, and let's continue further in here. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise. I love the authority in which he says that from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows? He's, and here he's going, well, but, 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 and who knows whether you have not come into this kingdom, right? Hashuaris' kingdom now, a Jew, for a time such as this. How do you know that your, this is almost like a, I feel like a motivational speech from Mordecai to, to her, to Esther. How do you know that you're not part of God's sovereign plan? You know, so, so he's going to work his way somehow or another, but how do you know you're not part of it? And I do wonder if in this passage, if he, he kind of gave her a prompting, because we do know that later as we go through there, we're going to see her obedience, but it makes you wonder if she, if this was just part of the message that came through. And, and, and that, you know, it just, it was interesting, an interesting point there. But uh, for such, we've, and we've heard that before. You've come into this time for such time as this. And really, it really kind of stays in this passage. It really means, and it talks about uh, 
will, will you be part of God's sovereign plan in this? He's talking about this particular situation. However, in our lives, I believe we truly are placed in this realm. I'm here right now for a reason. And Maureen, you're sitting here for a reason tonight, even without your notebook. You know, <laughs> poor Maureen, she lost her notebook. We're trying to find it. What color was it? Beige. Anyway, so, but yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but, but she's our fa famous note taker and Sunday school teacher, Bible teacher. But, you know, but, but we are all on this earth for a certain time, for a certain reason. Um, uh, I love it when people say, uh, they say, I don't even know if I want my kids or grandchildren to be, to come into the world at this time. It's, have you seen it? You know what's going on? To send my kids to school? Should we have kids? Should we not? Listen, those children, your kids and your grandchildren or the, your nieces and nephews, they are on this earth as an appointed time by the Lord for some reason, whether it be to shine the light, whether it be to witness and to bring other people to Christ. We don't know, but we can't, can't shake and we have to understand that things are placed on this earth. We're placed on this earth in a certain time and a place for God's purpose, and we need to remember that. Uh, and so that's kind of kind of my takeaway from that little part. You've seen this little, for such a time as this, you've seen it on bumper stickers and stuff. But that, really what it means is in this context, how do you know, Esther, that you're not going to be part of God's plan in, in, in freeing the Jews, your people? So let's continue on. Verse, verse 15, then Esther, here we go back and forth, told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not drink or eat for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Now let's kind of pause right there. Typically, the only thing that's missing right in there that would have really been in there is prayer. Um, and that's probably just assumed. But m most other times that we find that this, this wording, this verbiage, prayer is involved. So we can assume that really prayer is there. And that's really something interesting that, uh, you know, this is, should be our first course of action when trials arise, when big decisions are made. What should we do? Should we quickly consult Google? Should we look at the appraisal book? Should we go to Edmunds.com and check out Carfax? Or should we, you know, should we immediately go to WebMD? You know, really, this is what we should do. It says, hold a fast on my behalf. Now, some people don't do well. They have low blood sugars, but, they're, but, but this is really the purpose of a fast is to stop. And, to, and, and, and the fasting is something that you don't really proclaim. You know, on Facebook, doing a three-day fast to think about. It's not a, a public thing. That's a little pharisaical what you want to do with a fast. The reason they did that is to, to abstain from food, to focus the, all of their prayer and their energies to bringing and presenting this issue to the Lord. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that. Again, we're not going to go put on sackcloth and ashes, and, but, but, but there's a, a way that we should mourn, and there's a way that we, we should repent, and there's also a way that we should understand and deal with major problems. We need to go to prayer first, right? Pray, take it immediately to prayer. Perhaps fast, uh, perhaps set aside everything, every encumbrance that's going to get in our way when something this big occurs. Uh, in our lives, it's just a good lesson of, uh, I think, the way that we should model this in some way. Um, I've not studied a whole lot on fasting. I know there's a lot of uh, very interesting uh, you know, 
uh, discussions on fasting and the way people do it, um, but I think overall it's simply to, uh, to focus our minds on nothing but the Lord and the problem and prayer and, and, and devoting ourselves to, to that uh, very focused prayer. So that's what they did. This is exactly what Esther did at the time. She said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this to prayer. We're going to fast. Let's pick it up. Let's see. So it says, and I and my young women um, will also fast as you do, as Mordecai is doing. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. I love this line right here. And if I perish, I perish. Wow. That's huge. Did you see that? Then I will go to the king directly, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now that brings us to Esther's trust and obedience in a protecting God. That's where we have the protecting God. This, so she basically is, is Mordecai is trusting in a provisional God. He knows that if you don't do this, God will. I, I have no, no doubt about it. And Esther is trusting in a God that will protect her as she walks in and pretty much it's almost a death sentence to do this. But she's saying, I, the obedience here is a huge part of this, that she was obedient to the direction of Mordecai and what the Lord was telling her to do, basically. And she was obedient to it, to the point of saying, if I perish, I perish. That's huge. I mean, do we have that kind of faith? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I do, but that's the obedience and the 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 trust in a protecting father and a protecting God that, that she had. You know, I, I, uh, I do think about trusting in the Lord. And um, again, I, I don't think we'll ever get into something in our lives, I hope not, where the persecution comes so heavily that we, uh, you know, like in China right now, there's, there's persecution where that you could get killed for what you believe. It's hard to wrap our heads around that as Americans, where here we are sitting in a lovely building with air conditioning, and even if police were to come in, they're, they're not interested in what we're doing. And, but, but there will come a day where things will begin to tighten up a little bit. Now, I don't know that any of us will ever see that. Maybe our kids or grandkids would. But, um, but if I perish, I perish. To have that kind of faith and trust, uh, even in our just general decision-making, just to really lay out the trust in, in what God has for us. Again, with this, I keep, I keep, it's on my mind, but thinking about our building campaign and uh, the, the thing, like, do we really have faith and trust like this? And I mean, I know I vacillate a little bit. I'm like, well, I don't know. But if God is moving ahead of us and we too trust in the sovereign plan that he has as he's laid out with this whole thing, we really need to have that kind of faith. It's a challenge to me. And so I think these are just some really couple of strong points about Mordecai's character and his faith and Esther's character and her faith and obedience to these things. So I'll, let me just read again. Then I will go out, go to the king, and, if, and if, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him, and that would be to fast and pray and do those things. And this really brings us to the end of the chapter. And so it's a very brief chapter, and that's okay. Sometimes they're longer, 
Uh, sometimes I can go for a good solid hour and a half, two hours, and sometimes it's just a little bit uh, smaller. But I think sometimes in these smaller passages, you really want to focus in on the major takeaways. And now, the, the one thing that I did notice is that, for me, the first point was simply uh, with, about the sorrow and our repentance and how we, how we come to the Lord when we're repenting. You know, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying we do the sackcloth and ashes, but do we really, really repent? Do we really feel the weight of our sins? And now as I look around the room, I, there's no one in here that it doesn't sin. And if you say that, you're, you're lying. <laughs> but but, but as, we, as we come to the Lord, whether it's in our prayer time in the morning, prayer time in the evening, or even on the road or whenever, do we really understand the weight of what we do and how we do it? And, uh, and I think it's important as we do confess our sins, it says to confess our sins daily. Uh, so that's the first point. The second point, obviously, is Mordecai's unshakable faith in a providing God. Do we have uh, that kind of faith to know, you know, hey, if this doesn't occur, it's okay. I know the Lord will provide. Just to have that confidence in, in life and, and just, to, just to know that, that that's where God's sovereignty can be such a comfort. And I've said this before, probably ad nauseum, but knowing that God is sovereign, that he is in control of everything, really gives us a sense of comfort. We can just rest in that, not having to try to fix everything or do everything or manage everything in our lives. Just knowing that he's in control is very comforting. Uh, finally, with you know Esther saying, if I perish, I perish. Oh, to have that kind of faith, to have that kind of obedience, that's something to strive towards. I don't know if I have that but it's certainly something that I think uh, we can all strive towards to understand that. As we look ahead at the next chapter, uh, it, gets, it gets great. It's exciting as it continues on. I'm not even going to do a preview of it, but it's fun coming back week after week to see this narrative unfold. I, I often liken it to like a, a little movie, you know, next week on, and it gives you a little preview, and then, you know, then it has a recap when we come back. And, uh, but it's just really neat to study these uh, Old Testament narratives. There's so much richness uh, it's different than the New Testament, but in very interesting ways because we see a lot of the, the heroes of the faith here, and that really informs us and directs us on how we should live. Um, it also really shows us some of the attributes of God, and I think that's really one of the underrated things in modern evangelical churches is really knowing who God is and really knowing how holy he is. And really understanding his attributes, because when you understand his attributes, it changes how you think about things. If you know how holy God is, you'll understand how bad your sin is. If you don't think of, if you don't have a holiness and an understanding of the attributes of God, and how holy he is, sin's no big deal. It's just something. Why would there be a, you know? So I think it's interesting to, as we go through these, as we went through the kings, just seeing all the attributes of God and understanding who He is and who he isn't, and uh, it's a fun thing, so uh, that's actually pretty quick tonight, but anyway, um, I'd like to go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and close in prayer. I want to thank again the live stream audience for watching tonight from home or wherever you are, and uh, even after we close in prayer, uh, when the live stream goes off, I'd be happy to, if anyone has any questions or comments, okay? Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your goodness and your provision in our lives, Lord. Uh, we just, um, Lord, to have the, the faith and obedience of Esther, Lord, to have the, the, the absolute solid comfort that Mordecai had, just knowing 
that you're in control, Lord. Lord, let us have those types of attributes and, 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 uh, and character qualities, Lord. Um, uh, we love your word, Father. We love everything that it instructs us, even in these beautiful narratives and stories, Lord. We thank you for this evening, for everyone who's come out, Father. We pray that you protect them and guide them on their way home, Lord, that you continue uh, supporting them and being with them throughout the week and bringing them into a service on Sunday to worship you, Lord. Uh, for those who are traveling, Lord, we ask your protection. Uh, and, and also for those who are suffering tonight, those who are possibly watching from home or, or, or have just come out of surgery or, or, or under the weather with a cold or something, Lord, I pray that you will just comfort them and be with them, Lord. And all these things we ask in your name. Amen.